Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. This episode contains content surrounding addiction, which may be triggering for some. If you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, there are places you can go for help. See the description below for details. This is 4D with Demi Lovato. I'm not sure if you remember what you were doing at eight years old. I was on Barney and Friends, being a kid, but in many ways feeling like an adult. I've read that you have to reconstruct the past so that you can deconstruct its meaning. And so today I'm exploring my childhood story, how I've grown and how I've healed, and who I am now, alongside someone who has had a fascinating life of her own. The person joining me is an actor, producer, director, talk show host, entrepreneur. She stole all of our hearts at the age of seven with the iconic film E.T., and held us close through four decades of film and TV shows. Today, she hosts the Drew Barrymore Show on CBS. Beyond the stardom and the talent, what really intrigues me is Drew's fluidity and grace over the years. And witnessing the very different but very authentic versions of herself is a reminder that we are all layered, complex people. I'm thrilled to welcome Drew Barrymore to 4D with Demi Lovato, here in just a minute. Mental health is a lifelong journey. With Talkspace, you can match with a licensed therapist and send them unlimited messages. Get $100 for your first month with code 4D at Talkspace.com or download the app. That's code 4D at Talkspace.com. Hi! Hi! It's so good to see you. Yeah. I'm so good. How are you? I'm going to stop spring cleaning. That's, <laughs> uh, that's where I'm at today. I am in major spring cleaning mode. It's all I can do. Although I did go out to the New York Botanical Gardens. I drove for like an hour and went and saw the Kusama exhibit. And when she speaks about polka dots, it's so inspiring. So I just wore as many dots as I could find. Cute. You're for so you, cute. Inspired by the great Kusama. Oh my and, God, I'm obsessed. And thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited to do this, check in with you, talk to you. It's been so nice keeping in touch. You know, when I know. people say that, you're you're like, oh God, are now we are on the hook with each other. How do we keep <laughs> this up? Like whatever. And it just has to flow organically or not. And it's been so fun staying in touch with you. I'm so happy that we got to meet and connect and 
Thank you for coming on this, seriously. Thank you for showing up on on our show, too. And I'm <laughs> thrilled that you asked me. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Of course. Um, we had such a great conversation on your show, and I want to say thank you so much for having me once again. But I also just feel like I wanted to have a more in-depth conversation with you because I feel like there's a lot of parallels between our lives. Um, I grew up watching you and in movies, and so it's so cool to be able to not only relate to somebody who, you know, I grew up watching, but also has come out on the other side. Um, like, I'm not going to say unscathed because we all have wounds, but you seem to have a pretty good head on your shoulders. You know, I got sober when I was 13 because I had to. Uh, Mm -hmm. My mom put me in an institution. She didn't know what to do with me. She created a monster. I was so upset at having my freedom taken away like that, that I just thought it would screw me up for life. And I didn't get the 30-day Malibu treatment center, which I just look at those (laughs) commercials and I'm just like... (laughs) Totally. (laughs) God, Hollywood already has such a bougie stigma attached to it. Really, the Malibu fucking treatment center? Oh, no. It was nothing like what I was in. I was in hardcore Van Nuys psychiatric. You acted out. You got thrown into the stretcher restraints or the solitary confinement room. And that was the better of the two choices. And I was just mad. I was so mad. And I really didn't understand what anger was. And I think through doing the show and having these types of conversations with some of our peers who have come out the other side as well, um, you know, I think it takes a long time. And I think it would be so nice for the storytelling aspect of it, of I screwed up, I got fixed, and now I'm fixed. <laughs> yes. And that isn't how it works at all. This was in the 90s when it was so private. Even if you weren't living a private life, it was still so private in comparison to now. Good days. You didn't know how good they were. <laughs> until they were gone, I was like, ooh, this social media thing is going to be a killer because I know what it's like to make yes. all your mistakes in front of everybody. That's Things are about to get really messy. Mm-hmm. And, then- <laughs> and here we are. You said <laughs> Exactly. I saw a picture of you at Studio 54. And I was just wondering, what was that like? Because The best! <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Please, if my if if your mom comes in your bedroom and is like, do you want to go to school in the morning or go to Studio 54 tonight? <laughs> yeah. I would get her right to the front of the line and God bless her. Wow. Look, you know, not many people, you know, come into this world and get handed like a dossier of how their steps are going to go. Yeah. And for whatever reason, my mom made the choices that she did, and I just wouldn't change a thing. I'm so happy and in mm. love and 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 scared of my life being any different because this is the one I know and this is the one I loved. And man, I worked on it really hard. And it's so funny. That question is so popular. Of what would you tell your younger self? I'm like, nothing. She wouldn't have listened. <laughs> a, B, yeah, yeah. I, res- I resent the question. And and see if everything hadn't happened the way it was and you took one thing out of the Mm -hmm. 
Jenga game. Yeah, I was just going to say Jenga. <laughs> Maybe it you wouldn't come out the other side. There's this great uh, art. I think it's called Kintsugi, uh, where all the things that have cracks in it, um, I believe it's an ancient Japanese And they technique. use gold, right? Yes. Yes. I love that. I love it so much. I want it's to be so human kintsugi. I don't want, <laughs> I want the gold veins everywhere and the scars and the cracks and yes. the warrior stories and the laughs and the embarrassments and the lessons. What, yes. it, I, all of it. You know, when I became known in the media was when I was about 14, 15. And that's when social media started taking off. I remember I think Twitter came around when I was 15 or 16. And oh so, gosh. and that was like the first one. And I I had experienced MySpace and things like that. But it really is, it's, it's a game changer. And it's interesting to hear you say that you got to live your life privately, even though you were in the public eye because there wasn't social media. I got a really harsh sentence and then a free ride. And wow. it was interesting because had I lived out my time in the 90s after I got out of an institution, got emancipated by the California courts, went to live on my own and work at coffee houses and, mm. you know, try to pay my rent. And I wasn't sober anymore. Mm. And that was messy for a while. Thank God it was the 90s. Finding that balance was not pretty. Mm-hmm. It wasn't perfect. But I did get to do it in my own terms and privately because I wasn't working a ton. I, no one would hire me. I was totally blacklisted and washed up. Mm. And we were in that time where in the professional realms, they were like, ooh, you're uninsurable. We don't want to touch you. Um, so I went through that for a lot of years and sort of was like, oh, I'm 15, midlife crisis, can't get a job. I'll find other things in life and see if that makes me happy. And nothing did make me feel whole. I wanted to go back to who I was and what I had when I was a kid because at the core of it was this acting thing Mm -hmm. that I really did love. And when everything went away and it was all gone, you couldn't get it back no matter how hard you tried, it made me realize that I did really love it. Mm. And I thought maybe if I build slowly, I can get it back. And Mm -hmm. I just wasn't one of those people that the phone rang. Not a lot of directors wanted to work with me. Not a lot of people were that enthused with the old washed up Gertie kid. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was 19 and I was starting to get a few roles, all very B-movie. I started laying into like my sexiness. I was like, this will wash the Gertie right out of the mind. How do we like Poison Ivy and Amy Fisher? Oh my gosh, I'm not Gertie anymore. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh dear, I've gone too far. I'm going to start getting typecast. And it did really happen. It was every script I would get was... B-movie opening page was very sexy, coquettish, you know, Mm. screwed up girl. And I was like, and I realized, okay, if I was able to get back this far, and even though I'm still in the B-movie, like, you got yourself somewhere, but look at where you got yourself. Is this where you want to be? Right. And I had some major opportunities, and I turned them all down and went and found this film ever after and did that. 
has having kids helped you reshape or have compassion for your parents growing up? Because I, I noticed that when I came into the spotlight at a young age and then was the breadwinner, um, like you said, there wasn't a dossier. There wasn't a manual for my parents to read and it say, here's what to do to raise a child star. They didn't get that. So when I when they would try to ground me at 17, I would say, I pay the bills. And and I, I, I cringe now when I when I think about that attitude. As I've gotten older, I see my parents just as big kids themselves. Well, I was going to say, I don't think it's the world and the pedestal. I think it's the parent-child dynamic that gets completely oh. reversed. Mm -hmm. And no wonder you won't take an order from an authority figure yes. who's no longer an authority figure because you've now reduced them down with finances and uh, responsibilities into, yes. we're not here anymore. We're uh -huh. here. Mm -hmm. And if we don't, we're not careful, we're going to go there. And right. the parent-child dynamic, I mean, I'm having amazing realizations about my own kids and how little I understood what boundaries were. I don't, I didn't have them growing up. And mm -hmm. when you're a parent, uh, you try to compensate with so much love and you're almost afraid to get into the argument and sometimes you're just trying to survive the day. So yeah. you let things slide and then you're like, oh, that, that there should have been a boundary in that place probably mm -hmm. a while ago, but I guess I'm only realizing that now. I didn't know I was angry at my mom. I didn't <laughs> know I resented her. I also then felt so much guilt as if my inability to make a relationship with this woman work was literally the most cruel and fucked up thing I'd ever done in my life. I, I would picture her alone. I, I was, it tormented me. Oh. Um, turns out she's fine. She knows how to take care of herself. We're in re a really good place. That's um, great. That's wonderful so, to hear. So good. Because oh. I, for 20 or 30 years, felt toxic inside that I had to keep separating myself from her to uh, gain an autonomy and a structure mm. and boundaries and burn my hand on the stove and learn and everything on my own. I realized mm -hmm. that her and I were friends. We were not parent and child. And therefore, I had to completely relearn what parent-child dynamic is. And I was, I've been both inside of myself, as I'm sure you are too. I'm too adult and I'm too childish. Where is the middle? Where's the balance? Where does this all land? Mm -hmm. And it took me a long time and I, I couldn't have a relationship with her until I figured that out for myself and could come to her as a woman and oh. not a damaged child and yes. not have that baggage. I didn't want to carry it. I didn't want to project that onto her. I didn't want to feel guilty because I didn't have this magical relationship with her. Mm -hmm. um, we would come together when we were whole people and meet on a different playing field. Mm -hmm. And what that proves to me, if her and I could do it, and boy, was there some toxic shit there, even stuff people don't know about, just crazy, crazy, crazy. If her and I could say, you're not an excuse, you're not the problem, like I come to you with zero baggage, zero expectation, mm. and just a human to a human without the pain and the trappings, 
I, I believe if people are capable of that kind of change that her and I have individually found and then we come together with boundaries, yeah, with distance, with perspective, then I know that change is possible mm. because, boy, were we thrown in a blender as far as parent and child. And I told my own kids, I'm like, I will never be your friend, which they were like. <laughs> but you know what? That's. Uh, like, I'm your parent. I'm not your friend. That's how it's supposed to be. You can be friendly and do activities. It's not that it has to be this strict relationship. But my God, if children aren't looking for that North Star of how to behave and how to handle and how to deal, and they're not looking for that Earth's crust core foundation of if I fall, you will catch me. Like, yeah. that, I think, is how it's supposed to be in those societal norms that have been set up which are the expectations, which are the norms. But unfortunately, whether it's a your or my type of situation or just really tough cards people get dealt, that is unfortunately not so many people's stories. Right. I know for me, music was something that just got me through everything. What was it for you? I was so scared because when I was 14 and they said, well, you're an adult, you never have to go back to school again, you don't have to do anything. I was like... <laughs> Great. I'm never going back to school. I had a horrible mm. school experience. It took me a few weeks, uh, maybe not even, of sitting in my apartment. Um, I didn't know how to clean up. I wasn't good at domesticity. I had to go boxes, growing spores in the fridge and <laughs> my laundry. I, I, I was like, I guess I have to learn what it's like to take care of myself. Um, I realized that I had, you know, probably a fourth grade education at that point. I was 14 wow. with maybe a fourth grade education. Wow. And I got really scared. And I just said, I have to find things. I don't want to go back to school. I'm going to figure out what I love. And I started with books. I started with the classics. I was like, why is a classic a classic? And then I spent the next 25 years voraciously building a library and mm. being obsessed with talking about it and loving the world. And you learned history and geography and poetry and art. And I just started traveling and going to museums. And I was like, I just started soaking it up. And then I realized in my late teens that I was obsessed with business. Mm. I was like, I, I don't know why this is happening, but I can't stand the idle, helpless artist, that doesn't work for me. I love movies, that scripts, that storytelling. What kind of stories do you want to tell? Start a company and start telling those stories. Your phone isn't ringing with a bunch of interesting filmmakers wanting to work with you. In fact, nobody wants to work with you. So build the phone and... This is my daughter's princess phone, so I'll just use it as a metaphor. You. I was like, build the phone and start calling other people on it. Hey, what if we got together and we did this thing and I knew not to party with people. I kept it very business. Let's mm. meet for lunch, not drinks. Like mm. let's, I don't want to party with you. I don't want to get into that. I want to talk about the writers you have. Mm -hmm. And then I just kept going and going and building and uh, started Flower Films and started creating jobs for myself and what turned out to be other people, which I, I was then felt this newfound responsibility and excitement about the prospect of not being the only one nobody was calling, but like how many people could we pack on this thing and mm. all work together and be happy and they could be respected and it could be a healthy environment. 
you started making those phone calls and taking charge of your career. What what were those phone calls like? It was the 90s. It was power suit women in Hollywood. Mm. Um, they had a real edge. And um, I was like, well, I don't have any edge whatsoever. <laughs> like, I I'm showing to up in my Jansport. Thanks, Debbie. <laughs> uh, but, and you. I was like, I, you know, what worried me was um, the intensity. Uh, I didn't want to be an intense woman. I didn't want to play that mm-hmm. part. I'm not an intense woman. I never played the ingenue. I was like, I'm not an ingenue. I'm old. I'm 15, but I'm old. You've known me since birth. Like, mm-hmm. so I never, I, I didn't get involved with casting couch stuff. I didn't get involved with the power suit woman. Of, I'm a woman. And I was like, I'm here. I really want to tell stories. And I think I can be responsible with your money and deliver. And here's how. And I think a lot of my work has been based in the homework, the research. And maybe because I didn't go to school, I never burnt out on presentations. Mm. I love my trapper keeper and I love (laughs) my folders. And I think when that judge said, you're on your own, you never have to return to school. I think it weirdly put something in my head of like, you are really on your own. You you don't keep pedaling, you will fall off. But I loved it. It never felt like a burden. It just maybe was the light of the bottom of the TNT and that I was like, (laughs) off like a Tom and Jerry cartoon. And that's how I see life. I think a huge part of it is with sobriety, with mistakes, with triumphs, with careers and all this. It's so big. It all seems so serious. Where is the funny? I got to laugh. We can't take it all this seriously. It's not what's real. I don't even know what's real or what's not. I'm so into figuring it out, but I can't put this kind of stress on myself continually and not at least have to let it out at the seams with laughter. Like yes. I'll take on all the stress. I'm not a non-stressor. I don't. Those people are like, you just can't stress. I'm like, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> don't you right. tell me not right. to stress? I'm stressed. Right, right, those right. People are like, just meditate. I'm like, ah. <laughs> I'm in the backyard meditating. Like, ah. so <laughs> that's me. You mentioned back when you were trying to come into your own that you started taking on sexier roles. Mm-hmm. And I found that to be really interesting because after Disney Channel, I wanted to be super sexy and I did the same thing. I wanted to totally distance myself. Change the tone, the narrative, the look, the feel. Oh, yes. you see me as this way? Hmm. Yes. Yes. Let me show you Camp Rock. Let me show you. know what I mean? It's like, oh, yes. I'll show you. Your Camp Rock was my Gertie. It's the same thing. You're <laughs> yes. a kid. I'm like, but I'm 16 now. I'm not right. a kid anymore. How do I convince them? Right. What you said was so interesting is that ever after is what shifted things for you. And I remember that movie. I loved it. So beautiful. Can you tell me what about that film, what shifted things for you uh, and why that film? Because that wasn't a overly sexy role by any means. No, and the studio wasn't really happy. I wanted to make the Cinderella character uh, a brunette um, because I didn't want the blonde tardiness in it. Mm. And I had just done all those roles. And um, I'm so glad I had such a free period. Um, (laughs) I'm not free now. 
<laughs> I, uh, I, I'm shocked if I show forearm. I'm like, oh, oh, oh. watch out, everyone. It's the neck. It's the neck. <laughs> it's the forearm and the neck. Look at this I finger mean, cleavage. Yes. <laughs> if, if you see my ankle, like, hell froze over. Wow. Seriously. That's how I roll now. <laughs> so I'm glad I got to have that period where I loved – myself I guess enough it's not that I don't love myself now but I'm just like it's so different the love or the the freedom and the hindrances I'm so glad I got to have that experience in my life my god was it so fun and bohemian and wild would I want that for my daughters no it was a moment but Mm -hmm. the reason I turned to ever after is because I didn't want to keep continuing down that path and I knew Work was sometimes like a parent for me. I thought, what is this film teaching me? Wow. This film is teaching me. You just blew my mind. Everything we know about Cinderella is wrong. She actually rescued herself. And it's okay to want love at the end of the day. And you can be the princess. And all that stuff is fine. But really, how do you get yourself there? You don't wait for that prince to rescue you. you. You break free. And you meet him out in the driveway. And it was like the aha Oprah light bulb moment I needed. And in trying to start a company, it was the message I needed the most. You do it yourself. You rescue yourself. Mm. And that I wasn't just a sexy tart, uh, which is so (laughs) hilarious to me to think right now. I'm like the (laughs) most unsexy person on the planet. Lies. Liza Minnelli. Thank you. Liza Minnelli. I'm just glad I had some sensual bone in my body at some point. Um, And uh, I thought, I've got to keep going. I've got to keep progressing. And I shouldn't just rely on sensuality and Mm -hmm. sexuality and freedom and expression. Like, my Woodstock moment is over. Keep growing up. Ever After was one of those movies that... It just it, it made you feel good. And so I was wondering why was that film fulfilling to you? I loved um, Ever After because it was also one of the first films that Nan and I, we unofficially produced it. She's who I started Flower Films with when I was 19. She's my business partner of 26, seven years. Um, she's still my best friend in the world. Um, and she just taught me all these things you know you keep your promises slow and steady wins the race all these like you know isms that i i didn't really know or had learned elsewhere but this was a studio film this was a really big deal uh and uh i said you know i've started this company i don't want to put myself on you guys i know vanity deals were a terrible thing in hollywood at that time a lot of them had gotten really screwed up big money, vanity, no projects came out of it. They were like, Mm. no vanity deals ever. You prove yourself as a producer. You don't slap your Mm. name on this. It was that era. So I was like, I'm not putting myself on you, but could I please, since we don't have a credit to our name and we're just starting out, can we be at the table with you guys and help make decisions? And they were so gracious. They allowed us the producers of that. Some of have gone on to be some of the biggest producers in Hollywood and they were so nice and so giving to us to be a part of it. And we started meeting with directors and they were, you know, we all know whatever after is now, but they would come in and be like, so 
I think it's this big dark movie. It's very dark. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh. Yeah. And then the next person would come in and be like, you know, she's chewing gum. It's like cool, modern. Girls love it. And I'm like. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And then I was so excited because my friend Andy Tennant, this director who directed the Amy Fisher story I was in, came in and he was the only one that got it. He wow. was the only one that was like. It's a true period piece. Yeah. And he didn't have the credits to prove it. And neither did I. And I was like, look, I had the best time with you. I trust you. I don't know if either of us can pull this off, but let's do it together. Oh, that's and amazing. And he made the most beautiful movie that no one knew he was capable of. And I got to do the thing that would change the course of my whole life. Oh, that's beautiful. It would change who I was as a person it would change how I could proceed professionally. Mm-hmm. I was now accepted back into the realms of possibilities. It mm-hmm. changed everything. And I'm so grateful to Andy because we kept our promises. That's what Nan said. You keep your promises. That's what you do. And I'd never heard someone say that to me. And Andy and I and Nan and the people who produced that film who were so nice to us. That was the other thing. I never went around like bitter, you know? I mm-hmm. If I fucked my own life up, that wasn't anyone's fault. That was mine. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, <Sorry>. me too. <laughs> if you could like stomach looking at me and I could stomach looking at me, then we're in a great place. <laughs> You're yeah. not the problem. Well, it sounds like they took a really impactful approach to the producing, I've heard you say that your producing style is fundamentally kind. Yes. Is that something that you learned on that set? I don't have it in me to uh, be a part of any form of cruelty. And if I've done one thing in my life is I've probably over-eviscerated myself for ever thinking, you didn't handle that the perfect way. Mm-hmm. You got too emotional. You made too big of a deal out of this small thing. I never haven't said my pleases and thank yous. I've never been rude. But if I got too heated about things, I mean, you would you would think I'd have physically hurt someone. I hold myself so painfully accountable for how I treat people. And then I can't be privy to anyone. And I've had to endure it a few times. Everybody does. And you just watch and you just go, when I have the ability to make sure this doesn't happen, I will never let this happen. And I'm such a people person and I'm so inextricably linked to that sensitivity, to that energy that's an Mm -hmm. exchange because every single exchange that we go through in and about our days add up to uh, a sense of self-worth and self-respect and appreciation and shouldn't everybody be appreciated and made Mm. to feel like they contribute and they count and that things would fall apart without them because they probably would, you know? Mm -hmm. But are they being made to feel like they're such a huge part of, like, the fabric and one thread gets pulled and, like, the whole sweater unravels? Right. I really do feel that way about each and every person on this planet. Mm -hmm. And we've all had those jobs where we cried on the way to work. Mm -hmm. And as we got renewed for season two on our show, I'm so relieved. Um is I said, anyone who cries on their way to work, you just have well, let's talk about it. I, yeah. I don't think you'll ever be there. But if you are, it might even be personal. Please still talk to us about it. Like, <laughs> yeah. this is a life first type of environment. Yeah, that's beautiful. What does being in the fourth dimension mean to you? 
sometimes I, I wish I wasn't so afraid of losing it all. Mm. I think when you lose it all, when you're young, you're going to always have that fear, yeah. you know, that it can just all go away at a moment's notice. Now, the good thing about that is, God, I fucking appreciate everything so much. Yeah. I'll never, ever, ever lose that perspective again. Yeah. Like that younger person got really understanding of how it can all poof. Yeah. So I know not to ever not appreciate it, but I wonder when I will ever not be afraid of the poof. <laughs> yeah, I totally get that. I so get that. But would it be the worst thing in the world to not be afraid of the poof anymore? That's the best question that there is. Yeah. Um, I, I think about it all the time, especially when I'm on reality uh, sites and driving through small towns. I'm a big road tripper. I'm constantly fantasizing about other lives. So probably once a day, I fully submit and commit to living this fantasy life that is definitely smaller, lighter. So if I have my kids, then yes, everything is fine. I didn't know them before, so I thought the poof probably was even scarier. It's Mm -hmm. not as scary because of them anymore. And if I am anywhere with them, uh, I think the next one of the next tattoos I want to get is home is where we are because we're not tethered to anything. If we're together, that is home and it doesn't matter where or how or what it looks like or how it functions economically or geographically. That is just a love and a joy and a place of a sense of being that I've never known uh, to this degree. And so, yes, that is enough. Mm. I'm less afraid of the poof now, for Good. sure. Good. Maybe it's just that our values of the poof change over time. You know, the poof is not the fabulous life. Yeah. I don't think I want to go back to a mental institution. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> First of all, you were Van Nuys. I was San Bernardino. <laughs> Valley girls. Valley girls. She's a valley girl. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So good. Wow. I'm glad that we can relate to each other. Infinite percent. Yes. I have to commend you before we go on how Uh much you are living an authentic life. You told your truths Mm -hmm. so bravely, so beautifully, so disarmed. You took off the armor piece by piece. And we're writing books. This is a chapter. Yeah. And what I didn't know when I was a kid and in that institution is that I was convinced that would be my narrative forever. Yes. And it's nice to know years later that the book keeps getting written and the chapters keep evolving. Um, There are different focuses, different lessons, different experiences. Who knows? The poof may be life. Maybe we just don't want to leave this planet and everything we know. Maybe it's all become too valuable and special and we're determined to figure it out and thrive to the best of our abilities. As Mm -hmm. messy, wacky, and humorous as it all might be, as flawed, imperfect, as triumphant 
and honest. All the things. It'll be all the things. Yeah, definitely. I'm so in awe of what you're doing and that you're continuing. That's another thing. You could have done this and just walked away and been like, now it's all up to you guys or whatever. You're continuing the path. Mm. That says so much to me. Thank you. That means everything coming from you. And I just appreciate you so much. And I can't wait to hang out in person. <laughs> I do too. And until then, we get to text each other little messages and yes. videos. And yes, that makes perfect. me so happy. <laughs> and um, yeah, it makes Aww. me so happy. Me Thank too. You. Of course. Thank you, Drew. Mwah! This has been a presentation of OBB Sound, SB Projects, and Cadence 13. 4G with Demi Lovato is hosted and executive produced by me, Demi Lovato. Executive produced by Michael D. Ratner, Scott Ratner, Elias Tanner, Scooter Braun, Scott Manson, James Shen, Jen McDaniels, Scott Marcus, Chris Corcoran. Produced by Grace Delia. Associate produced by Caitlin Plummer. Chloe Borenstein Lowey, edited by S.R. Meredith, Danielle Billiou, Ryan Dayhoff, mixed and mastered by Chris Basil, production support from Arlen Konopaki, Kia Rigabi, Paige Himson, Sean Cherry, Serena Reagan. Cadence 13 is an Odyssey company. This has been a presentation of OBB Sound, SB Projects, and Cadence 13. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes available now on Apple Podcasts, Odyssey, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, visit samhsa.gov for free information and support.